My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace this morning. We are especially grateful to have David back with us and look forward to the day very soon when Sarah and Jesse will join David along with Judah and Clara. Um, I'm not going to be spending most of the time speaking today. We're going to be hearing from Chad Moody. I'll tell a little bit more about that uh, in just a few minutes. I think you would agree with me when I say that most Americans, at least most Americans that we know in our circles out here in the country, far from a city, out in the Hicksville, I suppose, uh, uh, we are <clears throat> out here. Uh, we, the, most of the people that we know were raised to make their own way in the world. We were raised to make our own way in the world, right? My dad used to say, son, can't depend on anybody but yourself. And I knew what he meant. You know, it's true that at some point you're on your own. And Americans especially, we have to make our own way in this world. At the very least, we, while we were taught to make use of connections, and certainly that's the way the, the world works, when people say it's not what you know, but who you know, that's not always a bad thing. I want to know about somebody, you know, who's going to be hired for a position or I'm going to be in close connection with. I, want, I'm, I feel much better about it if you know this person and you can tell me a little bit about them. Um, but even so, we were taught for the most part to be responsible for our own success. Work hard. Keep your nose to the grindstone. You'll come out all right if you will do what you're supposed to do. Uh, At the very least, don't be dependent on others, if at all possible. Most of us think of individualism as a virtue, although in some corners of our society, it is increasingly so that the more of a victim you are, the more of a badge of honor it is. If you've been victim, now listen, that was way different in earlier days. Even those who had been severely oppressed eschewed the the, the label of victim. Don't call me a victim. I mean, things have been done to me that shouldn't have been, but don't call me a victim. Not so much anymore. Individualism, though, is not as much of a virtue as you may think. It's certainly not a biblical position. God did not design us to go it alone in this life. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about the balance between individual responsibility and community assistance. There's a great balance in the church on responsibility and receiving from others. But today, we're going to look at the community God built into the church from the very earliest days. I think one of the reasons that people in America especially can so can say, well, you know, I don't like the way this is going on at the church, so I'm out of here. And then two, three years later, I'm out of there. And then it's just because they don't get the idea that church was designed to be a community and, and a family and a, and a part of a, a, an organism that has to function with each person doing what he or she is called to do, but it's kind of like I'm in and out, just like civic clubs or, or whatever, based on how things are going for me. Well, I mean, it's really how I perceive things are going, but no, what it is is how are things going for me? 
How do I feel right now? Well, God built this community into the church from the very beginning. Last week, we began looking at the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And for all practical purposes, the starting point of the New, New Testament church, as recounted in Acts 2, it wasn't the starting point of God claiming a covenant people for himself. And in fact, this earliest church in Jerusalem was really, everybody considered it a subset of Judaism. It came out of Uh, God's relationship with the nation of Israel. And so it was a subset of Judaism. Thankfully, though, the gospel would go in equal and increasing measure to Gentiles over the days uh, as the church progressed. Last week's text was Acts 2, verses 36 to 47. Uh, There was only time to look at the first two of the five marks of the model church uh, that God established in Jerusalem. So this morning we're going to look at these other three points uh, after we read our text. But everything's abbreviated this morning. The reading of the text, in fact, we're going to begin in, in, in verse 41. And then the points will be, I'll move through those fairly quickly so that we can hear from Chad. I told you last week he had 15 minutes. Even then I was thinking, ah, maybe 20. But as the week went on, I just sensed from the Lord that Chad needs uh, more time. So he's going to get it. And that's the plan. So would you please stand as we read Acts 2, verses 41 through 47. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day... About 3,000 souls. (laughs) That was a great day, wasn't it? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you that you brought us into this family. And I pray as we look at this perfect model, perfect from the start, uh, Lord, that we certainly can find ways to mess up. But as we remember this, may our hearts be drawn back to you and toward one another. May they turn toward one another that we might live in the ways that you have designed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, me seated. Well, by way of review, uh, the first two points of the New Testament church model, model found in Acts 2 are the church began and is sustained through the preaching of the word, particularly the preaching of the cross of Christ. And then two, response to the word, and that includes worship together at the Lord's table, uh, baptism in response to uh, belief, which is a response to the word. 
Response to the word provides entrance into God's family and builds life into the believer. That's why we meet on Sunday mornings and go to home groups and we spend time in private devotions. We're hearing from God and we're to respond. And as we do, life is built into us. Three, church family. If there's going to be a problem that you might have with any of them, it would be this third one based on what was said in the introduction. Church family is designed to provide spiritual, emotional, and material security for its members. One of the points that counselors who are counseling a young couple about to be married, in pre-marriage counseling, they will say, you're heading for disaster if you think that person sitting next to you is going to meet all of your needs. Emotional, material, you know, all of these things. There's no one person who can meet all of your needs. You need, and a Christian counselor will say, you need to find all of your needs being met in Jesus. Uh, There's danger early in marriage that one person is going to think that finally now, All of my needs are going to be met by this other person. Uh, But love doesn't look to receive. Love gives. I mean, uh, oddly enough, over time we learn the truth of our Savior's words. It's better to give than to receive. And we discover that in giving we are the true recipients of what we could never find when we constantly sought to have our needs met. Ever seen that happen? It's like, I just need, my needs aren't being met. Well, just start giving and you may be shocked to find the ways that your needs are met. It's much the way it is in the church. God is the one we need to look to to meet our needs, but he has designed the church to be that meter of needs, if you will. The ways that our needs will be met. God gave every believer at least one spiritual gift. But Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 12 that gifts are not designed for us to be blessed. They're designed for us to bless others. Look, if I'm an elbow, if God has made me an elbow in the body of Christ, you know, it's not so that I can say, hey, everybody give attention to the elbow. Rest of the body, give attention to the... No, it's so that I can, you know, bend my arm, move it, knock a player player from the opposing team out of the way, whatever, you know, I'm supposed to do. Uh, Or nudge my spouse in the service, you know, like, hey, did you hear that? Uh, He's talking to you. Um, No, truly, every part of the body is designed to help the other parts of the body. Uh, Over time... Some misapplied this truth that God is designed to meet all of your needs in the body, and they became lazy. And Paul had to warn him in 1 Thessalonians. And then in 2 Thessalonians, he said, look, you, you've misunderstood this altogether. You're saying God wants you to be spiritual and not do anything, so, and other people will take care of your needs. You need to discipline these people. As a church, you cannot just be lazy. We all have a responsibility But as we get to our responsibility, the needs of the whole are met. One of the reasons um, that I think we resist help sometimes is that we don't want to be seen as looking for a handout. Look, 
It's way easier in our context, cultural context, to be on the giving side than the receiving side of help. Would you rather be able to help somebody giving them money or preparing a meal for them or have somebody do it for you? Most of us would far rather give than receive. And so we, we, we become very individualistic. No thanks. We're fine. We're good. You don't need to make meals for us. If the church functions according to the model design, we'll find that balance. And we'll give with a heart that is willing to receive as well as to give. The earliest church members in Jerusalem were filled with awe that God had chosen to work in their midst. They were grateful to be a part of what God was doing, which brought a sense of great responsibility and led to the next point of emphasis. Every member is not only showered with benefits, but he gladly assumes family responsibilities. We talked about this in Grace Connection this morning. You know, children used to be an economic asset when everybody lived on the farm. Now, they're a liability, economic liability, right? (laughs) You think my kids are something, you ought to see my wife, you ought to see my husband. That's the real economic liability. Um, But but look, large families, there's something beautiful about a large family. Uh, and one of the things is everybody's got a role, everybody's got a responsibility. And you take it up and, and, and the thing functions like it should. So much we're going to say about that as we go. For now, suffice it to say that God's goodness to these early church believers bound their hearts to him and to one another. No wonder they enjoyed the favor of all the people. No wonder this last point. God's design for the family is to grow and therefore for existing members to make room for those that he adds. Now, according to Acts 3.12 and and 5.12, the believers met in Solomon's colonnade, which ran along the east side of the temple. That's your... Now, wait a minute, that's my east. This would be your east over here. They met along the east side of the outer quarter of the temple. And as believers heard the preaching of the apostles, they worshiped together. They loved one another at levels, such levels that they would sell their possessions to meet a particular need. Now, David and Sarah have insurance, but what if they didn't? You know what the early church would do? Some might say, you know what, I don't really don't need this car. I'll sell the car and I'll give the money to them. That's the way it functioned. And as they did, many were attracted to the Jerusalem church. Not just those who might receive something, but those who said, you know, <laughs> this is clearly bigger than, than any individual. I want to be a part of something like, uh, that's bigger than me was attractive, and the Lord added to their numbers daily. Jesus said, by your love for one another, will all men know that you are my disciples. We're going to talk much in this series about inviting people to church and growing through outreach as well as through website. But one of the ways that we evangelize is simply to be a family. Just take care of each other. Those of you who have been here for five or more years know the difficult road that the Moody family has been called 
to walk. These last eight years was sweet. Callie. Some of you, though, may not know. If you were here in the last couple of years, you're thinking, wow, there's a lot of sickness in this church. It didn't used to be that way. It really didn't. But it is. We've been given a season where we have been called. And, and, the, and the body has responded beautifully. My wife, Linda, when Linda got sick, her family was with us a whole lot. They've all been in ministry all their lives. And they said they'd never seen anything like the response at Grace Community Church. Never seen anything like it. If you remember those early days when Callie was diagnosed, just some two, little more than two months after Linda was diagnosed with a brain tumor, you know... uh, this journey that they've been called to walk. But if you're, if you're new, you might not know it all. I, I've tried to move as quickly as possible through this part of the message so that we could hear an Acts 2 testimony from Chad Moody. But first, let's hear from Callie. I knew that when that played, uh, I knew if I could get past that, I'd be okay. Um, My name is Chad. That's my beautiful wife, Sarah. And today, um, in just a few minutes, I'm going to just give you a little snapshot of our story. Um, My story is not any more special than um, anybody else's story. I told Brad the other day when we spoke that my biggest fear was that you would think somehow that our story is so much more amplified than your hurt or your valley, and it's not. Um, I have six beautiful kids. Not 25. Uh, a lot of people. Uh, were, I'm, I'm Chad Moody, not Chad Duggar. Uh, I, I, uh, I understand that. Uh, and I, Brad, pretty much the title of Brad's message a while ago was Large Families Rock. Remember when he was talking about large families? Um, I was going to say amen, but that sounded kind of awkward. 
Um, but, you know, life was normal for us. Um, Sarah and I had one beautiful kid named Isabella, and uh, many of you may know her. Um, and then we had Callie, and things were fantastic. And life was as perfect as it could be uh, for Sarah and I. And uh, everybody knows that has children here that the first birthday is uh, a really big deal, right? Cake in the face, and face, face down in the cake. And you take a lot of pictures on those days. And uh, on Callie's first birthday, uh, it was so simple, something that I, I wanted her to do. She was eating her cake, and I just wanted her to smile. And if you knew Callie then, many of you do. I, I can look around and I know the ones of you who knew Callie back then. Um, she was so full of life. She smiled all the time. And she was just filled with joy. And I like taking pictures. Uh, I love taking pictures, actually. And I just wanted her to smile because I just wanted it in the, in the book. And she wouldn't do it. I, I thought to myself, you know, something, something's not right. Uh, we even took a piece of the icing and put it on her forehead and just put a one on there. Well, a few days after that, Callie threw up. And everybody that has kids knows that when your kid throws up, you know, maybe a virus, a stomach bug or whatnot. That's what we thought. So the doctors tell us that, uh, sure enough, it's a virus. Any of you in medicine that know that that's just like a very common thing, right? It's a virus because viruses are just, there's so many of them. And so we had in and out of nine days-ish uh, to figure out that Callie uh, did not have a virus. Um, Callie ended up having a stage four malignant brain tumor which they initially diagnosed as a medulloblastoma. And it was about one quarter of the size of her brain. And she really hadn't been walking very much or wanting to sit up anymore. And we figured out why, because that tumor was so large and it was compressing her cerebellum, which controls your ability to stand up, walk, sit up. That was on June the 24th that we ended up going to Betsy Johnson. And then we would have been airlifted. When I listened to David talk a while ago about Jesse being airlifted, it was something that, in hindsight, we wish would have happened because so many things were going on in Callie's head during that time, so much pressure. It was just a big hydrocephalus that it really hurt her. Then on the 25th, June the 25th, we found out that our worst nightmare was sitting right in front of us and that she was on the verge of death. And that day was my wife's birthday. It was tough. She had surgery a couple days after that. And we had been going to, or coming to Grace for about six or seven months. My wife reminded me of that. I couldn't remember. But um, about six or seven months, um, we had been here. 
And I had looked in the face of Brad um, in those first few months that we were here. And I hardly knew Brad. But Brad came to me one day. Um, and we were talking about three letters. A GBM. His wife, Linda, was fighting the most aggressive brain tumor known to man. How did I know that? That was my area of expertise in college. I did my senior seminar on glioblastoma multiforms and astrocytomas of the brain. I knew when Brad told me that it was terrible news. But I learned a lot from Brad early on. Linda struggling, Brad struggling, and our church just hurting. I saw how this church family came together for a cause, for each other. And they rallied around Brad and Linda. She was beautiful. And she fought. And she lived. Andy Dufresne from Shawshank Redemption said, you need to get busy living or get busy dying, right? I was so amazed by Linda all the time how she was always smiling. She was always positive. I thought to myself, I don't know how you do it. It's just the hand of God just with her. She was always so peaceful. I never remember her complaining at all about anything. It was amazing. And then right after that, life hit us right in the mouth. I can honestly say that we didn't know a lot of people in the church. But when we stepped out of that elevator, the night of Cali surgery, the whole entire lobby was just filled with this church. I'll never forget it. I thought we had got off on the wrong before. I thought somebody's having a big gathering, and I wasn't so sure. And then I looked around, and I realized that we didn't know many of the faces. But we quickly saw that that was our family. And Brad talks about Acts 2. I wrote it down. He talked about... Uh, Church families is designed to provide spiritual, emotional, and material security. I don't know what we would have done. You can take that however you want to. I don't know what we would have done if we wouldn't have been here at Grace. I feel like God always had a plan for my family. And I feel like he put us here for a reason. I think that from early on, I was watching Brad fight, Linda fight, this church rally. I learned so much from that. I think it helped me because heading our household and being the rock for our family was so difficult at times. I don't know how many of you have ever, there's a lot of young people in here and a lot of older people in here, but that's the whole gamut of life, right? Life is difficult. Life is a journey. Many people say that life is a marathon, not a sprint. I would almost beg to differ. For many of us, it's hard to just get out of the gate sometimes. Callie had 12 months to live, 12 months. And before her third birthday, she had had two craniotomies, 
extensive chemo. An autologous stem cell, a stem cell transplant. And her life was filled with sickness. The first part of me always fought with, that's not fair. Why, Callie? Put it on me, I'll take it. I was in my 20s. I was fine. Going to heaven then. And the darkest day. There's been a lot of dark days. Right after her first surgery, they didn't know she would be blind, deaf, both, vegetative forever. And I remember it was hard to take a step. It was hard to breathe. And I remember one of the members of our church came up to me, and he was in the hospital. And you know what he said to me in that time, the darkest day of my life so far? Nothing. He just let me cry, and I just cried. Just like David said, just cry. And I remember crying so much. You ever cried so much where like every tear is gone? Like every single tear is gone? You lose somebody, someone in the family? Heartache, hurting. We were there, we were all there. Sarah was fighting her own demons on the inside. So was I. And we had Bella. If you don't know Bella, she's a superstar. She really is. She was about two and a half then. She would come to the hospital. One of the best stories ever was I had to go to the restroom. I told Bella, let's go this way. She said, Daddy, let's go this way. I got to go this way. And I said, Isabella, listen, I'm not in the mood right now. I need to go to the restroom. I'm going this way. She's like, Daddy, there's a bathroom right there. <laughs> she was two and a half. She knew Duke better than I did. <laughs> she was right. I, it was like, uh, we lived there. We stayed there. And we had... So many of you, a lot of people always ask us, they always say, well, um, you know, anything we can do for you. Can we do anything? You want to know the best things that can be done for families that are hurting? This is not just my family. We're just one family in this body. You want to know the best thing? Just say a little prayer for us. Hugs are the best thing ever. Anybody agree? Hugs are the best thing ever. Um, something else that uh, is tough to do in hard times is laugh. For those of you that know me, you know I love sports, right? Um, I, I process in a sports type of mind. I'm very competitive. And in some of those darkest, darkest days, the best thing I needed was talking about something other than what was happening. It just took me away for a second, even just for a little bit. Then the doctors told us when Callie tumor had come back for the third time the doctors looked at us and told us something very difficult we had two options and I want you to think about the choices that you make on a daily basis and then this choice we either A had to let her go and for those of you with children my grandmother once told me the greatest loss is the loss of a child we either had to let her go knowing that she had been through two tumors, two surgeries, and she could sing, Jesus loves you, and Jesus loves me, just all day. She said our prayers for us at night. She sang the Beatles songs. Uh, she was big into Chris Daughtry. Any Daughtry fans in here? 
99. Um, she was, for all sense and purposes, a normal kid who made bracelets. We fundraising early on. This is Callie, my sweet inspiration. She's still, to this day, strongest girl ever. Strongest guy, anybody. She fights and she fights. The hand of God laid down on her and she fought. She is a fighter. And that's our family, right? That's our family. That's our immediate family. And that's our church family. Through that fight, through this journey that still goes on years and years ago, you guys still rally around in the toughest of times. And we knew that the second part of that decision was you can do total brain, total spine radiation, but the effects being, quote unquote, devastating. We didn't, as a scientist, I knew what devastating meant. I knew what radiation was. I knew that radiation was really the only thing besides just an, a, a miracle hand of God touching her that would, that would take it away for good. It did. It took it away. But it also took her away. That video there, her singing that song. I could watch it over and over. Because it wasn't so long after that that she stopped talking. Her energy level was depleted and we, we saw what, what had happened with the radiation was it, it burned bridges and those bridges even to this day haven't been built you might hear Callie babble in the service I'm always like you know to the dad you know Brad's preaching or whatever so many of you guys come to me all the time and say no no just like let her talk you know let her babble she can still babble dad dad and every now and then She'll say, Mama, but she's there. She's with us. And we fight, and we fight. And we do everything we can to maximize her quality of life. But now we are talking about family. And the Lord has blessed us with a large family. My kids know what a seizure is. They know what to do when she has one. My oldest kid is 10. The jazz on my six-year-old knows exactly what to do. She runs over and she holds her. She doesn't talk to her. We are very good at one thing. I guess it's kind of a young term, but fronting. Okay, we do that a lot. Um, many of you will come up to me and ask me, uh, so how you doing? You know, how, you know, how's little Callie doing? You know, I hear that a lot. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I just want to cry. I want to say not good because she's having a really bad day or seizures have been bad or a number of things. But normally my response would be like this. She's about the same. Uh, okay. Because I, I understand that Everybody has a valley. Everybody hurts at some level. Everybody cries out to God.
that toughest time. The words of one song spoke to me louder than any other. If you know me, you know I have one thing, I have rhythm. But when, when God prepared me in the womb, he uh, decided not to give me uh, the gift of voice, of singing. He gave that to Calvert, not me. Um, but Praise You in the Storm was a song that I asked Calvert to do one time up here in that tough time, and he did. Because he's a friend. Because he's family. I was going to have a show of hands of people who have watched my kids, prepared a meal, gave a donation of everybody in this church. Sarah, Sarah said maybe not do that, but um, it would be enormous. It would be many of you, most of you. Many of you might look down and see Callie's name on the, the prayer request list and whatnot, and she's just a name. You can see kind of what she was then and now. She's very quiet. But I know, like, ask Miss Melanie how Callie is. She'll tell you about something we call Callie Kisses. She's a cuddly kid. She likes to be felt. It just lets you know that you're there. The beginning of that song says, God, I was sure by now that you would have reached down and washed our tears away, stepped in and saved the day. But once again, I say amen. And it's still raining. How many times have we done that? How many times have you done that? How many times have you prayed heaven down over and over again? Sometimes I think about it and we think more of God like a superhero than anything, right? He's just going to swoop down with this big cape on and everything's going to be okay. At some point in my journey, I realized that I can't do this on my own. God has a plan for Callie. And that I don't always understand what that is. But I know that Callie inspires. I know that her story inspires. I know that my kids, my other kids, are going to be so compassionate growing up and understanding of, of children in similar situations or just situations in general. And I understand that when I get to heaven and I see God, I'll have a lot of questions. I'd like to think that as parents we're doing something decent, something good. I'd like to think that we're still rocks and pillars. But family's the most important thing. I think our kids see that. They see the help that you guys provide we see Scooter and Mass come over all the time. And they provide for us things that are really abstract in nature. Laugh. We can cry. I can point out everybody in this church that has done something for us on some level, emotional, spiritual, or material. <coughs> Isabella said one time, when she gets to heaven, first thing she's going to ask God, why did Cal get saved? She's fantastic. And even though Callie will probably, more than likely, never be able to talk again, she'll never be able to walk on her own. She doesn't have the ability to cry. 
Think about that. She doesn't have that ability. It was taken away from her. But she has the ability to be loved by all of you. Absolutely. She can give you that. Um, I want you guys to understand one thing. That this family in here, everybody sitting in here, please, please, please. If coming to church on Sunday morning is your thing for any reason, please don't ever make it routine. In the greeting session, talk to people that you don't know. But more importantly, be there for each other in one way, shape, or form. Because it's a crying shame if that's not the case. I can honestly say that in our family, we have given more after all of this because we realize, like David Calvert said, when you look around in the hospital, families are hurting. The families aren't just hurting in the hospital. The families are hurting right here in seats right in front of us, right beside you. You may not know them, but know this. When you look at the bulletin, anything you can do, even if it's just words of encouragement, words of encouragement mean more to us than $1,000 would any day. That's money. That's, that's money. Love, hugs, laughter, tears. Those will get our family through in tough times. And know that the days are tough, many, many days for our family. But when you look at our family, you'll see a lot of smiles, you know. When you look at the Moody family, you'll see a couple things. A lot of smiles, competitive kids, competitive parents. Um, <laughs> and most importantly, a great love of God and a great love of family. And I want you guys to look at me and I want you to hear me. Please hear me. This is just one story, one story in this church. There are many, many that I don't know that I'd love to. But from our family to yours, we want to say thank you for everything that you've ever done for us and everything you might do for us. From now until time's up. Thank you so, so, so very much because we can make it through a day because of you. We're not relying on ourselves because if so, we wouldn't have made it. I don't think we could have made it. It would have been too difficult. Don't ever forget your church family. And Lord knows we know everybody's busy. Everybody's really, really busy. Take the time to stop. Think about somebody else. Give them a hug. We'll try to do the same. Let us pray. Before we uh, pray, I <clears throat> just want to say a few things. I had actually, I had asked Chad to close that way, and I was going to pray and lead us into worship team is going to come and going to sing. Uh, if you would, come, you guys come ahead. And <clears throat> but I, w I just want to say a, a couple of things. Um, the Lord said, and Paul said in Romans 8, the Lord said through Paul, I reckon that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed to us. Um, don't you know, there have been lots of times where the Moody's have been tempted to go in the other direction from the words of that song Lord I, I would have thought surely by now you would have come and wiped away the tears Do you know they were 
tempted to say, I, how can this be a loving God? And, and the answer was you. <laughs> That's how God has loved them. That's how God has put his arms around them because of you. Sarah had been coming to the church a while when Chad and Sarah were married and started coming, but they were relatively new. And some of you have been relatively new when you have been stricken. I don't want that to make that, those of you who are brand new to think, uh-oh, I wonder if I'm heading for trouble here. <clears throat> Here's the thing. If you, if you do head for trouble, uh, this church will rally around you. There's no question about it if you do head that way. The more we know you, the better we can minister to you. Get connected with this body of believers. Last week, as Chad and I were talking, and gosh, we've talked about it so much, Chad and Sarah, and they were with us when Linda was sick. Uh, they came over several times, and I can say, just like Chad, we were overwhelmed with the love and support that came from this body of believers. The most stunning gifts on a couple of occasions were the times that Chad and Sarah gave us $100. And it's almost like David when the three men, when he said, oh, I just wish I had a drink of water from the well. And three men went and got it and he just poured it out on the ground. I, I was not because David said, I can't. This, this gift means too much to me. I can't drink it. Guess maybe along with the same spirit, I gladly received it. My my response was to want to say, no, 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 this you can't do this. You have needs, and yet it's just the way God's designed us, isn't it? Giving, receiving, it's a beautiful thing. And a couple of weeks ago, David said, you know, when I asked him, you know, how are you responding to this? He said. First thing I'm going to do, first chance I get, I'm going to call Chad Moody and ask him, how do you handle this when you're both at the hospital with the child and you've got responsibilities back home? And he did. And I was just thinking about how it has come full cycle and Chad is ministering specifically out of the difficulties they had. Nobody saw this coming. Nobody saw any of the things coming just about that we've talked about but all of a sudden they're there and you think where's God you know where God is he's sitting right beside you across the aisle from you and he's caring for you and ministering to you and the suffering that we experience and endure now we can endure because ultimately the suffering that Jesus when he took the sin of the world upon himself and God abandoned him so that he might justly pay for our sins. Jesus suffered greater than anybody ever. Some of the suffering that we're called to is extreme, especially in our cultural context. And the Moody's have had extreme suffering. And one of the reasons I wanted Chad to share this morning is because it's so easy with all of the new things to come up that come up to kind of let that get on the back burner. But it's a reminder to all of us this beautiful privilege and responsibility that we have to the entire family. Everything that Chad said 
goes off in a biblical ap application, a principle and application, how the rest of the family is going to be so much more loving and caring than they would have been otherwise. We have no idea the ways that God is using sweet Callie through the generations to come. So if you don't know the Moody's, offer to babysit, give them $150, say go have a nice meal. That's a great way to... Uh, get to know. Heck, if you don't know me all that well, that's all right. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Father, we thank you for the gift of laughter through our tears. We thank you that in the pain of this life that some are called to engage and even embrace at a much higher level than others, we thank you that there is an undergirding joy. Sometimes the pain is so deep and so intense that, that we uh, feel utterly alone, even abandoned in this world. We're not. Because Jesus was utterly alone, abandoned. We thank you for the life that is in Christ. And we thank you that one day Callie is going to be running and jumping. Singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for life in Jesus. Would you stand together as we sing? We all have our personal families, our church families, even the communities that we live and work in. Their needs at times, as you've heard very dramatically this morning from Chad, can seem overwhelming at times. Isaiah chapter 12, verses 3 through 5, it says, With joy you will drain water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Go this week, take comfort in the peace of God's family, and share with others the joy that they will have if they join that family with us. Go in peace. Have a good week.